This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. So, um, LaChina sounds a little different today. Um, and her <laughs> name really isn't LaChina. It's really Tarika. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is your favorite producer, Tarika Foster Brasby, and I have a special host with me today that I'm super excited about. So please welcome in Georgetown's finest ACC analyst, Monica McNutt. Hey, girl. Hey, Tarika. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot has changed for you since the last time that we've been on the podcast because we haven't spoken to you since you were giving us Big East updates. Oh, my gosh. Some things have changed, my girl. Oh, yes. It's, just, it's been so great. And, of course, our leader, our co-host, your partner in crime in the China has been huge and super supportive in that journey. So I'm just so excited. Awesome sauce. Well, guys, we are going to have a fun podcast today. We're going to talk to our boy, Charlie Cream. He's going to fill us in on some bracketology. Also going to have a head coach of the NC State Wolfpack on today with us, Coach Wes Moore. I'm excited to talk to him. He might give Monica a hard time, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Should I give the backstory now or should we wait? You can give us a little bit now and then give us the rest later, right? (laughs) All right. So the deal is I this year I have joined the ACC Network team and Thursday nights are our ladies night. Myself, Kelly Gramlick, Elena Beard and our fantastic host, Kelsey Riggs. Um, and so, you know, me, my personality, I talk a little trash, but I don't just make up things. There are usually some numbers to back it up. And so heading into the ACC tournament, I questioned which NC State team would show up and whether or not they would show up as members of the Big Four. Um, and let's just say the Wolfpack got wind of that. <laughs> We're not very pleased about your analysis. <laughs> I'm just saying it was it was steeped in some fact. Well, we are going to definitely make sure we talk about that later on in the show. So uh, you ready to kick it and, and bring on our board, Charlie? Let's do it. Here we go. First quarter. All right, fans. So we have with us our ESPNW's women's bracketologist, probably the smartest guy I know, especially around this time of year. Charlie Cream joining the show. Hey, Charlie. Oh, how you doing, Monica Trika? How's it going? Going well. It's great over here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take me in the smartest guy that you know. Period. If that's if that's okay. That is. <laughs> believe right me, now. you you will not get any argument from me on that one. <laughs> that's funny. Well, listen. It is so much going on right now um, on so many different angles in women's college basketball. But obviously, the tournament is the main thing that we're all looking forward to for various reasons. Um, just. I guess the biggest storyline that we can kick off is the fact that this coronavirus is really impacting everything, everywhere, including women's college basketball. So the MAC, the Big West, they've closed off their games to the public. The Ivy League has just canceled both tournaments and have awarded its bids to its regular season's winner, which was Yale and Princeton. Literally just moments ago, the NCAA announced that the tournament will be closed off for fans, Division One uh, men's and women's. And in fact, only essential staff will be allowed to attend. Charlie, this is huge. It's, uh, it's about as big a news as we've ever had associated with the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, the only thing that I could associate in terms of big news was, I don't know if, how many listeners go back to 1981 when the men's basketball championship game was about to be played and President Reagan was shot. 
and there was some debate about whether they were going to play that game or not. Uh, but since then to now, I don't think we've ever had anything like this where, uh, you know, the conversation around canceling games, or and at least in this case, thankfully, just playing games with no fans in the building. But this is we're in unprecedented times, society, uh, from a societal standpoint, and uh, you know, sports is obviously a big part of that. And, and the NCAA tournament getting hit with this news, I, I think it. Event, this was going to be inevitable based on the sequence of events over the course of the early part of the week with the Ivy League and the Big West and the MAC making the decisions that they did. And then, and, and then also we were set up with certain schools, at least on the women's side, that were set to be hosting where they had already issued bans on large gatherings. So certain schools were not going to be able to have fans in the building whereas others would be able to if the NCAA didn't come on and give something more uh, widespread in terms of a policy. Um, I know the, and then the men had uh, already the, the first four in Dayton were going to be played without fans, and the, the Cleveland sub-regional was going to be played without fans because of the decree of the Ohio governor. So if, we, if the NCAA didn't step in with anything broader, then we were going to have these mixed-matched scenarios which would have been even stranger, I think, than what we're about to in, incur in the next week or two, and then well throughout the month of March with the entire tournament. Now, uh, it's just it's 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 hard to wrap your head around what this is going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what the the mood of even some of these teams is going to be as they step out and start to play these games with no fans and no atmosphere. Um, but I think the NCAA probably made the right move. It, it, from obviously from a health safety standpoint and from uh, a continuity standpoint, whereas you you couldn't have um, some some locations having no fans or being or being asked to move and others being playing as usual. Um, and the differences I think we we've got going on here too is that with some of these conference tournaments that are still happening with fans throughout the weekend mm-hmm. and. In, in those cases, the conferences are in charge of making those decisions, whereas the, with the NCAA tournament, it is the NCAA that makes all the determinations. So I think you know, we've, that's why we've got this uh, little difference of uh, a thought process where you know, the MAC is making decisions for itself and, and not having any fans in the building, but the, the ACC and SEC men's tournaments are going on as planned. Two different approaches, two different thought processes, um, but I'm also concerned or worried or wondering, maybe is probably the better word, if some of these major men's conferences that get so much attendance and so much attention, if come by the end of the weekend, they will still be having fans in the building. That whole dynamic is going to be interesting to see because, I mean, there are games that are literally going on right now as we speak. And as you've mentioned, where you can see fans are in the building, but even then it's like without the restrictions it's very limited. You, I, I, We were just watching the ACC men's tournament, and usually Greensboro is packed. You know what I mean? In this particular instant, it's not. You know, So I think maybe some fans are already taking precautions on their own to not attend these events. But 
I can't help but think about the timing of all of this, too, because in my mind, it just kind of seems as if that there were a few more days that they could have taken to really examine if this is the route that they wanted to take, given that they're still at least four, what, four more days to Selection Sunday and Selection Monday. Um, so I, I think that the timing of this is very interesting, but I can't help but think of cities and states like Texas, for example, and specifically Houston, where South by Southwest has been canceled. They've canceled the Houston Rodeo, which is uh, two events that bring a significant amount of attraction to this particular area. And also this year, Houston was slated to host the men's regional. So you think about these kinds of things and the impact that it's going to have on, on these locations. It just seems that there were a little bit more time that they could have taken or, you know, am I overthinking it that this was the best time to make this call? Yeah, my guess is the NCAA came to this decision and did it, did it in the time that it did. Um, because I don't think they had to rush into this decision. I think they probably could have given it a few more days to see what uh, the the number of cases was going to be. But I think by doing it, what they did is they took the pressure off some of these individual locales. Like, you know, we I've mentioned UCLA and Stanford on the women's side. We've talked about Dayton and Cleveland on the men. And you, and you mentioned the regionals in the state of Texas uh, on the men's side. And I think, you know, those locales had made decisions. Well, that then puts pressure on other locales that are hosting similar events. And if they don't have somebody above them kind of coming in and making the decision for them, then they're, they're, they're caught under a lot of pressure. And this just makes it easier, I think, for everybody across the board involved with the NCAA tournament and that now this is a uniform decision. Everybody will follow it. It's, it's, not, it's not based on county decisions. It's not based on city ordinances or, or a state decree by a governor. It's based on the organization that runs the tournament, making a decision itself, alleviating any sort of other decisions that have to be made within that turn that, that the two tournaments we're talking about. And now we just proceed with plans at how, how these teams are going to get to these cities and the teams can, I guess, mentally prepare for playing games in atmospheres that in some cases they've, they've never done before. So I guess, and this may not even be, a question that you can answer, Charlie, but just as we're basketball lovers, just sort of bouncing some ideas around, it's one thing to just say we're going to host this tournament with no fans, but there is a cost of opening these arenas, opening these spaces. Like, we're starting to get into some serious uncharted territory even when we start talking about revenue. Now, granted, I'm definitely one who believes that safety is paramount and that we probably should be more proactive as opposed to reactive, but is there a chance that we see this thing come down to a much smaller scale if there's no fans involved? Well, the economy as a whole is going to be massively impacted. The economy right. of college basketball is certainly going to be impacted. Uh, and I, I, I do think that they would play the games as normal, whether it's in empty arenas or limited fan entrance. I, I think the games will go on. I think – what the Ivy League did, I, I think, is very disappointing, frankly, that they flat out just canceled their tournament. And I think hearing the reaction from uh, the, the Penn men's and women's coaches there what, was indicative of what we would hear on a grand scale if they did scale back the tournament in any, in any kind of way. Um, I wouldn't have a problem if they somehow pushed it back, if that would help uh, get through maybe the next few weeks, which seemed to be – sort of the red alert time period. 
But in terms of if they were to do anything that would, would cancel or shorten uh, the tournament, I, I think would would be, like you said, massively disappointing and hypocritical unless they're going to do this stuff across the board. One of the issues with the Ivy League, one of the issues that the that the both Penn programs had was that other Ivy League sports with travel involved are continuing as planned. All the Ivy League wrestlers are, are going to be traveling to Minneapolis for the national wrestling tournament. And uh, the, the Yale lacrosse team was going to fly out all the way across the country to play Fresno State in a game, and those were, were still scheduled. So that's what made them very angry. So I think if they were going to do anything with the NCAA tournament that – you know, I think you were suggesting, Monica, of shrinking it or, or not, not playing certain games. Uh, unless this was across the board, all sports, all universities, then I think that would be really, really unfortunate. Mm, absolutely. And I think one of the other things that's very interesting to note is that some of these teams have fought really hard to have home court uh, yeah. advantage, if that makes any sense. And, you know, that crowd, that impacts the, the momentum of players and how that could actually impact gameplay, you know, playing it basically in an empty stadium. Yeah. I, I, well, I think what you're going to have is they will play in front of empty places. And, and that still gives an advantage to the team that earned it to some degree. You, fan participation is a huge part of that advantage, and that certainly would be missing. But not having to travel, being able to sleep in your own bed, uh, being able to do your your routine around your campus would still give them an, th- those teams an advantage. I think where it's going to get where it would get really sticky is if the NCAA didn't make any grand declaration, but we have these individual institutions like UCLA and Stanford at this point either be making their own decision or, or their, in the case of Stanford, having their county kind of make this decision to minimize any of these large gatherings. But then you've got other schools in other, in other counties not doing anything. So let's just take, it, take the example of Stanford. They certainly have earned the right to host games. Well, what if the NCAA decided they didn't want to have games with no fans, so they moved the game to, you know, if you look at my bracket the way I have it right now, say they moved the games to Duke or Creighton. Now not only is Stanford – having to lose that advantage of playing at home, but then now I have to do a fairly significant amount of travel. Whereas, say, in Connecticut, another two-seed, UConn, um, nothing happened. Nothing's going on in Connecticut from a government standpoint, from an institutional standpoint, and they just decide to play the games as normal with fans. Well, Stanford kind of got rooked. <laughs> mm. and they, they earned the same right that UConn did, but and, and, and these things haven't happened. I'm just giving a hypothetical examples of what could happen or, or I think what's on the table and that would be unfair but it really needs to be uniform to, to keep it as equitable as possible mm, yeah well we will all be standing by to see and in the meantime wash your hands and control what you can control right. second quarter inside the huddle I do want to flip the page to to Tarika's point, some teams that have worked very hard to get to this point. We've got 11 teams, Charlie, that have punched their tickets so far to go dancing. Um, Any surprises for you in the AQ? I think we have one out west. Correct. So uh, in the last couple days of the West Coast Conference Tournament, uh, well, Portland is your winner, and they will now go to the tournament 
they upset Gonzaga in the semifinals. And I was able to catch a little bit of Portland's game yesterday in the championship when I flew back into Vegas. And their upset of, of Gonzaga disrupted. That's the surprise. And it sort of disrupted the bubble a little bit. Because when you, when you take a team like Portland, who was not going to make it as an at-large, but Gonzaga certainly is, well, now the WCC goes from having one team in the field to two teams in the field. Well, you can only still have 64 teams, so someone has to come out of the field to accommodate Portland's entrance, and that affects the at-large teams on the bubble. And in the case of my bracket, that knocked Boston College back out of the field, who just a day earlier had slid into the field because there was another loss by someone else. So it's everything with this in these, these championship week circumstances, everything affects something else because mm-hmm. it's a numbers game. It's a 64-team field no matter how you slice it. So going forward in these next few days, we've got some other tournaments that could affect that in the same way. And I, I mentioned this going back a week or so ago that they're, watch out for the bid stealers because there are certain mid-majors that we know are going to be in the field. They've earned the right to be in the field as at-large teams. If they don't also – Go in as, or they don't go in as automatic qualifiers by winning their tournament. Well, then that's an extra team that we didn't account for in bracketology, and that's an extra team now that the committee has to put into the field. That's one less team that can make it from some of these bubble teams. So, yeah, the the, the big upset so far has been in the West Coast Conference in Gonzaga not winning it, and we've got some more to look forward to. The MAC happens to be one of those tournaments where there's not going to be any fans. Well, Central Michigan won the league pretty decisively this year, is a top-20 RPI team, and most assuredly will make the field. But now that tournament, played before no one, um, could be one of those that affects how the bubble teams go, too. If Central Michigan doesn't also come, on to- um, come out on top in the tournament. Uh, so that's, one, that's certainly one for fans to watch as we go forward. And you're going to have to watch it on TV because it's you're not going to be able to buy it. Because you're not going to be able to go. If you're, if you're watching on TV, though, you will hear my voice. I'm on the call on Saturday for the championship. Hey. <laughs> oh, all right. There we go. See? More reason to tune in now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Monica's on the game. And you can't get into the arena. So the ratings should be sky high now. <laughs> it should be a good one. Okay, so. I want to jump over to the Big 12, Charlie, where, where I know I actually had a chance to call some Big 12 games this year. And I know TCU in particular was a team that was really making a push. I believe they're in the field as it stands right now. But Iowa State, Ashley Jones, who's a certified bucket getter, they upset Baylor over the weekend, which was a huge deal. I did a double take when I got the alert. Um, Baylor is Baylor. They're legit a one seed. It probably doesn't change anything for them. But what does it do for Iowa State? Well, Iowa State I had as a 10 seed leading into that game, and, and it pushed them up to a 9. And what that does is secu- it's security. It's cushion. Because as a 10 seed, maybe the committee views them a little differently and not quite, not quite at that level. So then you're talking about 11 seed. Well, that's a vulnerable team to some of the upset potential we just talked about. So what that win for Iowa State did, I think, is – put to rest any question that they'd be in the field, although I didn't think there was a big one anyway. But it, but it certainly nails it down, and they no longer would have 
I don't think any anxious moments watching the selection show on Monday. Uh, it, now it's just going to be a matter of where do they go and whom do they play. But I think that's what that did for for Iowa State for sure. And and it what it what it did do for Baylor though, while not it's not going to knock them out of the, of a one seed, it does maybe raise some questions. I, I personally didn't think that there was anything to worry about with Baylor. That, frankly, there weren't a lot of flaws there. But the Big 12's not, not one of the better leagues in the country this year. Of the Power 5 leagues, I think it's probably fifth. And they haven't been severely tested in a while, and Iowa State certainly did that. And it might raise some question marks about Baylor going forward. I think they can answer some any of those questions in the Big 12 tournament because I have a sneaking suspicion they're going to come out with a little extra in the tank <laughs> now that they lost that game. And it could be real ugly for the other Big 12 teams uh, in the Big 12 tournament. But that said, it, does, it, it, it shows a little vulnerability that I didn't think Baylor had. And you know, that makes, maybe makes a little more intrigue when we get to the tournament time itself. Mm, I agree with you 100%. I know I looked at that box score trying to figure out what the deal was, and nothing really was, like, crazy glaring. But I, I do think you're right. I know a ton of folks are going to be studying that tape to see what um, Iowa State was able to do right. Well, I was able to watch some of that game, and what Iowa State did was really slow the temple. Mm-hmm. They made a whole bunch of threes in the second half. Uh, they made more threes than they made twos in the game. And believe it or not, and it was, and it was so slow paced, and Baylor never found a rhythm. They, 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 I would say, clogged everything inside, so Lauren Cox had almost no room to move, and kind of dared the Baylor shooters to shoot, and they just had one of those games where they weren't making shots. So maybe it lays down a blueprint for some other teams as to how to at least approach Baylor. Mm-hmm. Moments ago, you mentioned. Uh, as an example, UConn being a number two seed. And I know over the past few years, UConn have seemed to have had all these regional conferences in such a favorable area. I think it's the Albany region that they mostly had been seeded. But this year, they would be projected a number two in the Portland region. And I think as much as we talk about UConn not being the same UConn as, as past, they're still a very good basketball team, 139-0 and in their conference over these last few years in the American. And... I think that having them with the possibility of travel really makes this team look a little different because they aren't the same team as years past. Tell us a little bit about how that could affect their performance, assuming they make the Sweet 16. Well, you're right. And uh, seven out of the last eight years, they've either played in Albany, Bridgeport, or Kingston, Rhode Island. So they, they have not had to get on an airplane until the Final Four in seven out of those those eight years. But... Let's, let's be honest, they earned it every one of those years with the possible exception of last year because they were the best team in the country during those years, too. So and, and it, when, when cities bid for these regionals, it just so happened that, that in all those years, those particular locales bid and, and got regionals to be able to host, and UConn happened to be close. So this year those regionals are, don't exist. There is no Albany. There is no Kingston. There is no Bridgeport. And no matter what, UConn was going to have to get on an airplane. And it, you're right, I think it will look a little bit different seeing a UConn team in a, a faraway place. Um, I don't think it's going to impact them a whole lot, though. 
To be honest, I think the people that are bothered least by the possibility of UConn going west are the the players and the coaching staff. Uh, everything I've heard from them is like, hey, we'll, we'll bring it on. We'll play wherever. We'll play whomever. We're not that concerned about it. Gino's been been pretty adamant over the years, but in particular this year when the subject's been broached to him, kind of shrugs his shoulders and looks and says, "Look, I you know I don't have any control over it, and we'll go play, and then we'll do what we do." And I think he said the other night after the the American Championship game, "We'll do what we do." I hope, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think um, that's sort of the philosophy that they're going to take. Maybe their fans aren't as happy, and maybe people who who look at the tournament and see certain things is, you know, they view them as unfair uh, that a team that is fifth overall, by my take, you know, would be the one that has to travel based on the fact that other teams can can drive to the regional. So the, we'll get into the reason why UConn would be going to Portland is very simply that uh, the NCAA would prefer as much as possible that teams that can drive rather than fly to games that they're going to play. Um, it's written right in the procedures and principles of putting the bracket together that mode of transportation and distance from campus are things that they consider. Well, this year, Louisville can drive to the Fort Wayne Regional. NC State can drive to the Greenville Regional. So if you assume that those are, the, those are two of the other number, number two seeds, then they're going to be plotted in those regions. And then the other one being Stanford and Stanford matched up with Oregon would, would also violate one of the principles of putting the bracket together and that they, uh, they try to keep teams seated on the top four lines from the same conference separate. So, in their, so they're in different regions, so they wouldn't even meet until the final four. Now, in this case, the Pac-12 might have five teams in the top 16, making that impossible. But in years past when that's happened, the committee's not put one a one and a two together. They've put, say, a two and a four together. So it's highly, highly unlikely that Oregon and Stanford will be placed together, which only leaves one region left for UConn to go to, which is Portland, matched up with Oregon as the one and the two. So that's the why behind it. And I, and I think we talked about the, the what, or in the case of, I think, the UConn players and coaches, the so what. I, I don't know that they, that it matters to them very much but it does create an interesting conversation around how the tournament is bracketed and some of these rules that maybe fans aren't quite as aware of and the, the, the head-scratching that I get from, from fans and social media saying, well, if UConn's five, they should be matched up with the, with the number four overall team based on the S-curve, and that's Maryland, so they should be going to Fort Wayne. Well, it, we don't ever – the S-curve is used to plot the teams in the tournament, but it's not used strictly – to place them in these numerical matchups, one and eight go together, two and seven go together. It's never worked that way. It doesn't work that way in the men's tournament. The, the committee will try to do that as much as possible. That's the goal. But if you've got these geographical instances at hand as well, then there, there's other ways to balance the bracket, and that's, I think, what's going to happen this year with UConn. Okay. There's a lot to take in there. Another um, traditional power, I guess we'll call it, that we're keeping our eyes on, Charlie, would be Tennessee. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster for those guys um, after losing to Kentucky in the SEC tournament. Where are you on Tennessee with an at-large bid? Wow, Tennessee has been you know, one of the, the handful of teams that I just 
that I frankly lose sleep over trying to decide if, if <laughs> where I have them is the right place. Is it, am I right on this? Am I wrong on this? What's the committee going to do? How are they going to view them? And you try to take clues from what the committee's done with the reveals and what they've done in past years. And so I have, I have Tennessee in the field as one of my, my last four in, which, as we talked about earlier with some of the upsets. Bid Steelers. Mm-hmm. Next week, they'd be, they'd be a vulnerable team based on that. Um, but I have them in, and you can make an argument, very strong one, that they shouldn't be in. Um, the, where I am leaning toward is that um, from, a, maybe, you know, from an eye test standpoint, and I compare what I've seen from Tennessee and what I've seen from some of the other teams, that you know, my viewpoint is that Tennessee's probably a little bit better team. And the other thing, and this is more to what the committee does and how they think and you know, some of the things that they've, they've said to us through you know, some of the history and, and some of the reveals and, or the two reveals that we've had this year with the top 16 is that quality of loss is something that has been mentioned. Um, it was mentioned when I, when I had a question in the first reveal about a comparison between Iowa and Maryland. And the committee chair on the call said that, well, we felt like Maryland's quality of loss was better than Iowa's. And even though Iowa at the time had a win over Maryland, um, the, the quality of loss is one of the criteria that the committee does, like one of the 15 pieces of information that the committee ponders. That sort of trumped the idea of the head-to-head win. Uh, and some other things that I brought up. So I, 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 I flash forward with Tennessee, and all of Tennessee's losses have been against teams that will be in the NCAA tournament field. In other words, they don't have a bad loss. They don't have great wins. They, in fact, they only have one top 50 RPI win, but they don't have any bad losses either. So I'm using that as sort of what I hope is a little bit of a clue into how the committee this committee thinks, and that's one of their... That's maybe the primary reason why I still have Tennessee in the field. That, and I said, to some degree, the eye test. Well, Charlie, as we bring a close to our conversation on bracketology, and again, this is so fascinating for me because I could never like follow all of these teams this much to be able to put this together. I probably can give you the first round and maybe like the second, and then I said I'm done. Like I have no, no, nothing else. Like that's, that's all I got. Twitter, nothing well, else. Well, well, that's what I see. That's what I consider job security, right? Um, <laughs> but I do want to close out with you just kind of giving us how you think Champ Week closes out, um, and a little bit detail as to what we can look forward to on Selection Monday. Well, I think in Champ Week the rest of the way here, I'm going to predict that there's going to be one more upset in one of the, the leagues that, I, that I've talked about. Mm-hmm. We're, down, we're, we're down to just really, we're down to just, well, honestly, we're down to just two because the Ivy League would have been one of them, but we talked about it. They're not playing their tournament, so Princeton is in and nobody else will be. Uh, the Summit League played yesterday, and South Dakota escaped uh, against South Dakota State, but that secured the fact that the Summit will only have one team. So it's two leagues in particular that I'm watching. It's the MAC, where Monica will be. So I'll not only be watching the MAC, but I'll be watching Monica. <laughs> and the Atlantic Sun with Florida Gulf Coast, who's been a team that's been in the field for me all year long as a relatively substantial seed, and I, I'm certain 
that they will be in the tournament as well. But they did lose in their league their one game very late in the season. So there's a there's a tournament to watch as well that could end up being a two bid league, which would knock out uh, one of the other bubble teams. So so that's kind of that's what I'm. Those are the two things I'm really looking for. Those two particular leagues um, as we get toward the weekend here. And as far as Selection Monday is concerned, uh, my curiosity is is always the same. You know, did I did I look at the bubble teams the same way the committee did? you know, did I think the committee did a nice, did a good job of placing the teams in the bracket? And so far, with the reveals, I feel like they have, where the ba- the bracket has been balanced among the the top four seeds in each region, and it's and it's been what I thought they would do. So, but I'm always curious as to that is 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 that is that top sixteen going to change from the last reveal? Uh, the the last reveal was on March third, so it wasn't that long ago. And last year. The, the second reveals top 16 ended up being the exact same 16 teams in the final bracket. So is that going to change? That's something that I'm, I'm always curious about. Did something happen just even minor with those, with any of those teams in the committee's eyes that would have changed things? Gonzaga would be that team this year. Uh, they were listed at 12 overall in the last reveal. And I feel like even though they lost in the semis of the WCC tournament, that that's, too far to fall with one loss based on what the committee told us, but maybe the committee will view it differently now because that'll be two WCC losses in the last month or so for Gonzaga. And so that's something I'm looking at. Does the top 16 change? Because I don't think there's going to be any surprises or anything to really worry about so much with the top four teams, the top seeds. South Carolina, Oregon, Baylor, and Maryland are solidly number ones, and I don't think there's anything that's going to change that. And I think the number twos are probably pretty safe and sound the way I have them too. Um, but it's going to be some of that other stuff. And, uh, and that's, that's always, as the bracketologist, and, I, and you know, my, my agenda every year is I like to be right. <laughs> so I want to see how right or wrong that I was in my forecasting and my predictions that have gone on all year long. And and it's really focused on the top 16, and it's really focused on the bubble, and it's really focused on the placement of, like, the three and the four seeds and and, and maybe some of the six and the sevens and the eights and the nines to you know, create those matchups. Charlie. Man, all that work, Charlie. I admire you. I swear, I was telling Tarika when we were on set together two weeks ago now, I was like, man, that eraser and that pencil really does get a workout. This is real. <laughs> it really is. That's right, my. We got to work together, and you got to see it in action. All all the sheets I had in front of me, uh, my pencil that uh, that Coach Andy Landers likes to reference quite a bit. Uh, but it's it is. I, I erase. I I don't do it on the computer because I like to have hard copies that I can look at and I can change and I can uh, mix and match a little bit to see if I've if, if I've done this right or to think about it in a different way. So I do a lot of erasing, and a pencil is a necessary tool in bracketology. Well, we will certainly have our pencils together. I will have mine because I will be filling out my bracket come Selection Monday. And I already know that I'm going to be 90% wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> just to throw that out there. But, you know, it's fun It's fun to try anyway. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. We definitely appreciate it. And we will be talking to you afterwards to see how right you were. 
and and I hope I have a lot of good things to say. But it's it's always a pleasure being out with you guys. It's so much fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Third quarter, Coach's Corner. Joining us on the podcast now, we're really excited to talk to the ACC tournament champions, Coach Wes Moore of the NC State Wolfpack. Hey, Coach Moore. Hey, hey. How you doing? We are doing wonderful. So I heard from a little birdie in my ear that my co-host today <laughs> said some unfavorable things about the Wolfpack not too long ago, and you guys did not take lightly to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was doubting us now. She was doubting us. We'd had, we'd had a couple of hiccups, and so she was she was down on us. Our stock was down with her, but... Uh, you know, again, I probably owe Monica big thanks because I made sure I shared that with our players. And they knew people out there were doubting us. And uh, so our, our players, who knows, maybe they rallied around that. You know the saying, he who laughs last, laughs best. There you go. We'll take it. Accurate. Thank you so much. Well said. Well said. All right, Coach. Well, here we are. Obviously, I have since congratulated you and made amends but when you think back over the ACC tournament and the way your team was able to lock it in and play consistency and secure the title what are you most proud of when you look at that performance well I just think uh unlike their coach they had a great composure and uh uh you know just uh, stayed really focused on the job at hand and um, you know, just proud of the effort. We played a lot of people, and, and it seemed like, uh, you know, through those three wins, somebody different stepped up every day and uh, maybe coming in off the bench even and uh, provided us with uh, a lift when we needed it. And, uh, you know, we've got the seniors, four seniors, three of them coming off major knee injuries from a year ago and uh, adjusting to roles and all those things, but still contributing and, and, uh, being a big part of our success. And you need that this time of year. You gotta have some seniors that understand it's, you know, do or die, the urgency and all those things. And I think, uh, you know, it helped our whole team maybe, um, but they were still loose and, uh, I think confident throughout it all. So, uh, it was, it was a great weekend, no doubt. Coach, I know moving forward over the last couple of seasons, you guys have had the opportunity to play in in the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16. What are some things that you're telling your team as you look forward to moving into the tournament to kind of motivate them and and to continue to to help them surge past where you've been able to accomplish over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, and that's what we've just talked about all year. We felt like we could do something special this year and obviously winning an ACC championship, something special, but but also, uh, as you mentioned, we've gone to the Sweet 16 the last two years, and we'd like to do more than that. And it's not easy. There's great teams out there. Every, every game is going to be a big challenge at this time of year. But, uh, you know, we're excited about the opportunity, and we, we go in with a lot of confidence and some momentum. Uh, we've actually given our kids uh, three days off, so I haven't even talked to them in person uh, that much since Sunday. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back here. We'll watch the film, take a, take a few minutes to, uh, bask in the glory, so to speak, and then make sure they understand, you know, they can't ever take that away from you. You're ACC champs, but it's time to turn the page. And now, uh, we have a new challenge, a new season ahead of us. And, and, uh, again, I think the thing that helps is we do 
we do come in with some confidence. So uh, we'll be excited, and kids are enjoying it, enjoying the ride, and and uh, makes it a lot of fun. Coach Moore, you've been doing this a long time. You've got you've had six successful seasons at NC State, but in general, you've been a part of women's basketball for thirty years. Is there what what has made this year unique from your perspective? I mean, we've heard lots of us in the media talking about parity. How is yeah. How did we get here, Coach? Like, is the game just changing? Are more girls more talented? Is there just more a spread of where talented players want to go as opposed to some of the traditional powers that we hear year in and year out? What are you seeing from your perspective? Well, I do think the talent is, uh, you know, because of you guys, the exposure that these kids are getting and, uh, you know, the ACC network's a prime example as well. Uh, you know, I go out recruiting. I'm in Texas and – uh, a guy comes up to me, hey, I saw you guys on TV last night. Can I get a picture with you and my daughter? And then I'm in Minneapolis and, you know, another guy, hey, I saw you last night, coach. You know, so I think all that exposure is, is making young girls want to play the game and excited about college basketball or basketball in general. And so I think that's helped. And, and because of that depth and talent, uh, maybe we're getting to a point where the parity's there and, uh, yeah, I think it's still the traditional powers, uh, still are getting talent. Uh, but hopefully now there's more to go around and, uh, you know, kind of on any given day, uh, there, there's enough talent out there to get you beat. So if you're not mm-hmm. ready to play or if you have a poor night. So I think that's a good place to start with it for sure. Yeah. Well, Coach, we definitely uh, appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to talk with us and to, to spend some time with us today. Um, I know that looking ahead to the tournament, you said you've given your team three days off. I'm pretty sure they're not upset about it. (laughs) (laughs) They are not upset about it. Um, But I I just want to close with this. Um, What you're doing down at NC State is tremendous. Um, There are a lot of coaches, um, specifically we've had a few on our podcast recently, who are looking to attain the success that you've had and, and to looking to get to where you are. If there's any advice that you can give to up-and-coming coaches who have programs that are struggling or programs that haven't quite been able to propel their teams over the humps, per se, what would you say to them? Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I believe in recruiting people that, that can shoot, that can score the ball. Uh, you know, if uh, if I have a high school coach call me and say, Coach, I got the best defensive player I've ever had. I'll say, okay, well, thank you for calling. and Have a good day. Boom. <laughs> okay. uh, I want to recruit people that can ring the bell. And then when they get here, we're going to get them to play defense and uh, rebound and do those other things. But you got to be able to score the ball. Uh, so I'd say that. And then the other thing I'd say to any coach is uh, surround yourself with good people. And, and, I mean, not only coaches – you know, this isn't rocket science. For Don't tell my chancellor that, you know, because I may be wanting another raise or something. But, you know, this isn't rocket <laughs> science. Uh, so make sure you got good people that care about the kids, care about each other. And then with the players, same thing. Recruit, recruit good people. Uh, it's going to make the journey that much more fun. And I think our team, you know, we may not always out-athleticize out you or whatever, I think our kids play well together. They enjoy it. They enjoy being around each other. And uh, like I said, it makes the journey a whole lot more fun for them and for us as coaches. So uh, life's too short. Make sure you uh, you got good kids, good people, and and then uh, you know then you can enjoy it for a long, long time. I could retire right now, but 
I'm afraid I'd be bored. I'm afraid I'd miss it too much. So uh, let's keep it going. There you go. Love that. Coach, we don't want you to retire. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Monica almost made me. I mean, she got me. What are you? Did, but luckily, I was able to overcome it and get my head back up. So. There you go. That's leadership in action. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Coach. We're going to wish you all the luck and all the all the best moving forward in the tournament. Well, thank y'all so much for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate it. Love, love you guys. Thanks, Coach. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, basketball fans. Well, we want to thank Charlie Cream and Coach Wes Moore for joining the show today. Definitely have to give my girl Monica some love. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me today. Thanks for having me, Zarika. I had a blast, and it aligned so perfectly that I would have to once again face Coach Westmore. <laughs> I know, right? Like he, he, he was like, "Listen, this is going." With, this secretly, he emailed me and was like, "I don't know if I want to talk to Monica." I'm joking. He oh totally my God. did not say that, guy. <laughs> he did no, but not his, you say know, that. I love what he said about ACC Network and the exposure. We had so much fun all season covering the ACC, and I get it. I mean, kids are listening. Our clips go out on Twitter, on Instagram from what we've said, and I there's nothing that I said sitting on that desk that I would not say to the face of a coach or a player, and I don't mean it from a hater perspective, but I'm asked to give some analysis and look at some numbers. All right, so let's go. <laughs> as simple as that. Numbers never lie, so... You don't like what I'm what I'm giving? Change the numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> please make me wrong. Exactly. Make me wrong. Show me I'm wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, fans, if you guys have questions for anything that we've said here on this podcast, or just questions on your own, we have a new segment called Ask Antonelli with our one of our favorite guests, Debbie Antonelli. All you have to do is call our Around the Rim hotline at 860-368-0060 and leave your question. Just leave your name, where you're calling from, whatever it is that you want to say. And we're going to have Debbie Antonelli listen to them and she may provide some answers to your question right here on the podcast. So make sure you are taking advantage of the opportunity to talk back to the show. Monica, tell the fans where they can find you on social media. On socials, I'm last name, first name, McNutt, Monica on Twitter. There's an underscore at the end on Instagram. But if you Google McNutt, there's not too many of us out there. You'll probably stumble upon me. There you go. So you guys make sure you're following my girl, Monica. You can find us at Around the Rim Pod. LaChina Robinson, our host, is at LaChina Robinson. I'm at Sports underscore. You can always send us an email on our Gmail, which is Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Keep up with us. We love you. Thank you so much and appreciate you. Until next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.